following program contains language or imagery which may not be suitable for children under the age of 13. Or for pussies. Fuck. Dust the dandelions off your cowboy boots, dude. Join us. Listen to some fucking music. Let your proverbial belt loose. Or traipse back into the tree line and rejoin the ranks of the fucking forest people. You know what? Let me, let me tell you what I heard about the forest people. Every single one of them, even the ones that look like boys, every last forest person has a vagina. You think it's a joke. It's not a joke. Every one of them has a vagina. They're probably not even from this fucking planet. So why they have vaginas in the first place is beyond me. They're deceptive. They are messengers of deception. Each and every one of them. We must free ourselves from the bonds of these creatures. They just showed up one day 247 years ago and started making demands of our vocabulary and our behavior towards others. It's fucking bullshit. We can't say fuck anymore. We can't say shit anymore. Or they do things to us. Where did these fucking things come from? Soon, I fear if we don't pull ourselves together and fight back, one day soon, we may all have fucking vaginas. Oh my god, they're attacking. The revolution has begun. Oh my god. What do I do? Do I just make noises with my mouth? It's so stupid. But somebody figured out that the forest people aren't people. They saw a tentacle coming out of one of their fake vaginas. Thank you for listening to the hot damn motherfucking secret society of second looking stuff. A special group of America's top scientists were organized under the name Project Sign in December of 1947 to study the phenomenon. Project Sign evolved into Project Grudge in December of 1948. A very low-level collection and disinformation project named Blue Book was formed under Grudge. Sixteen volumes were to come out of Grudge, including the controversial Grudge 13. During these early years, the United States Air Force and the Central Intelligence Agency exercised complete control over the alien secret. The Air Force was later to be dropped because it was a young service and had no political power and could not overcome the power of the Army and the Navy. Secretary of Defense James Forrestal began to object to the secrecy. He was a very idealistic and religious man who believed that the public should be told. When he began to talk to leaders of the opposition party and leaders of the Congress about the alien problem, he was asked to resign by Truman. He expressed his fears to many people and rightfully believed that he was being watched and that his life was threatened. This was interpreted by those who were ignorant of the facts as paranoia. Forrestal later was said to have suffered a mental breakdown and was committed to Bethesda Naval Hospital against his will. Sometime in the early morning of May 22, 1949, agents of the CIA tied a sheet around his neck, fastened the other end to a fixture in his room, 
and threw James Forrestal out the window. The live alien that had been taken from the 1949 Roswell crash was called E-beam. was short for extraterrestrial biological entity, and all aliens are not called E-B. E.B. had a tendency to lie and for over a year would give only the desired answers to questions asked. Those questions which would have resulted in an undesirable answer went unanswered. At some point during the second year of captivity, he began to open up and the information derived from E.B. was startling to say the least. And this compilation of his revelations became the foundation of what would later be the Yellow Book. In late 1951, E.B. became ill. Medical personnel had been unable to determine the cause of Eby's illness and had no background from which to draw. Eby's system was chlorophyll-based and he processed food into energy much the same as plants. It was decided that an expert in botany was called for. A botanist, Dr. Guillermo Mendoza, was brought in to try and help him recover. In a futile attempt to save Eby and to try and gain favor with this technological superior alien race, the United States began broadcasting a call for help early in 1952 into the vast regions of space. The call went unanswered, but the project continued as an effort of good faith. In 1953, at least 10 more crash disks were recovered, along with 26 dead and 4 live aliens. One of the 4 live aliens died within hours of being removed from the craft, the others died 3 or 4 days later. Of the 10, 4 were found in Arizona, 2 in Texas, 1 in New Mexico, 1 in Louisiana, 1 in Montana, and 1 in South Africa. In 1953 also, astronomers discovered large objects in space which were moving toward the Earth, and the evidence proved that the objects could only be spaceships intelligently guided. When the objects reached the Earth, they took up a very high orbit, orbit around the equator. There were several huge ships, and their actual intent was unknown. This is the first time it got scary. It's about 11 to 12 o'clock at night, 11.30, something like that. And me and my girlfriend were out the back garden. We were sitting down. She was in a chair to my right. We were just talking before we were going to go up to bed. And my daughter wasn't in with us by that point. She'd moved out already. Yeah, so that's when the whole silence fell and that feeling of being watched fell on us really fast, really powerful, to the point they put the hairs on the back of my neck up. It's the first time I've ever had that before. Um fear. I've never felt that level of fear before. And it was unusual because, it, again, there was no reason to feel that fear. It was like it was put upon me. She felt it too because we were mid-conversation, mid-sentence when that happened. So we both looked at each other and she was like, what the f is that? Before I could answer, those footsteps from in front of us, 15 feet away maybe, came from the left side and the right side and they were stepping closer and closer towards us and we're both looking, I'm freaked out, she's freaked out. When she heard those footsteps booming, because it sounded like a goddamn dinosaur's walking behind the back fence, <laughs> and there's nothing like that here, there's nothing like that here. Um, we have badgers, foxes, the occasional small deer, and that's it, there's no predatory animals, no large animals. These things were overly loud, overly heavy sounding. It's as if it was intentionally scary, as if it wanted to freak us out. She got up and ran. She ran in the back door. She said, I'm sorry, babe, I can't. She ran in and slammed the back door behind her and went and stood behind me in, against the window and left me there. I was frozen solid, man. I couldn't move. And I also took it as a threat. And I also felt like I was obliged to stand my ground. It felt like a bit of a test, to be honest. Um, and I got angry because, I mean, you know, I guess natural Neanderthal instinct, honestly, 
it was so freaky and scary that it made me mad. So I gritted my teeth and I was getting ready for a proper, I don't know, I was going to be jumped on by some something from a nightmare. I didn't know what to expect, but it wasn't nice. These things get closer and closer from the left and the right until they're right in front of me and I can't see. There's nothing there. There's literally nothing visible, but I, it, it's clearly there. And then all of a sudden, feeling lifted, the background, normal background noises came back and it just became normal. As quick as it had fell on us, that feelings, all those feelings and noises came back and everything was normal again. No sound of anything walking away. And I sat there for a few seconds, maybe a minute, getting my composure. And I got up and I walked over, looked over the fence. I looked around, there's nothing there, man. And we've said to each other since that maybe we should have looked up or maybe something was above us, who knows. Um, but that was definitely part of whatever happened. That was just not nice at all. Uh, and I'd honestly say it felt like a test. I felt like I was being messed with. Like, why would you do that, you know? Um, that's weird yeah so the next thing that happened was it's I can put a rough date on it because we didn't know that my girlfriend was pregnant we had no idea when all of this happened she was pregnant didn't know that because she was told she couldn't have kids it was a surprise to both of us um, and now my little boy's seven Blake but I know the date of what happened next because when my little boy was born, he was, we had to get him out by cesarean section as an emergency because the pregnancy wasn't going well at all. So he was um, born 10 weeks early, two and a half months premature. And he had to go for five weeks in intensive care. So he was born on the 17th of March, 2015. Right? So that places the date of a, a good couple of months have gone past. So we're looking at now... Uh, April, May. So we're looking beginning of May, the first couple of weeks of May. So my, my eldest son, who was 14 at the time from a previous relationship, he moved in with us unexpectedly. Um, and so it was the first week that he was here, five weeks after my little baby boy was um, born. He's out of ICU. Right. And I decided to go with my eldest boy for a walk out the back of our house. So if you go out the back, it's only, you know, not far, 50, 100 feet away, and you're in fields, and there's nothing back there for miles but farmland, flat farmlands, patches of woodland, with a lot of history. It goes back forever, medieval days, Roman times, doomsday book. There's some little villages and even little castles back there that are kind of hidden these days. Anyway... So I go out the back there with him for a walk and a talk. And what had happened previously was all in the past to me now, obviously, it had been months. And I was like, oh, that was nuts. But that was in the past now, a couple of, a few months ago. And so we're taking a walk and it's broad daylight. It was about one o'clock in the afternoon. It was a, one of those light blue, cold days, but light blue skies. And I didn't notice any clouds in the sky at all. Right? And we're going to go into the woods but you have to go off the road, which is covered by hedgerows, which are probably five, six foot tall, thick. So when you go off the road to walk across the farmer's field to go into the patch of woodland, you are completely isolated. There's, there's no one around. You get the occasional dog walker. It's very isolated. No one can see you from the road. So we're about to go into the woods. 
and I'd been in there a thousand times before by myself, no problem. And just, just as I was about to step into the woods with him to my left, that damn feeling that happened in the garden months earlier with my girlfriend, that same feeling just as quickly out of nowhere, boom, dread, that claustrophobic feeling of being watched, the hair on the back of my neck stood up. It felt like danger. In the middle of the day, man, the middle of the day, the sun's yeah. up. You know, I, it's, and I, I look to my left, um, I look to my right inside the tree line because my initial reaction in that instant moment was what in there is of danger? I felt like such danger was imminent. And I'm looking around going, what the fuck? Like, and my son to my left said, Dad, Dad, what is that? Like, as in he feels it too. And then I realized, yeah, man, it's not just me. Suddenly, and this is one of those really, really weirder bits, right? That I know it sounds nuts, but this is what happened. In that feeling of being watched suddenly had a direction to it. I felt like I knew where I was being watched from, and it was coming from up above me. I felt it like it was drilling into the back of my head. So I just turned my head round and looked straight up into the sky, and there was this one puffy white cloud, and a blacker than black, what people would say, what cigar-shaped object. To me, it was like a tube, a big, must have been huge. It wasn't thousands of feet up. It was quite a low cloud, but it seemed almost cartoon-like because it was almost too perfect. Fluffy, pure white cloud, no other clouds, and this black, blacker than black object just darted from the right side of it behind as if it was almost hiding from view. It, I mean, none of it makes sense. In 1953, Project Sigma and a new Project Plato through radio communications using the computer binary language was able to arrange a landing that eventually resulted in face-to-face -face contact with alien beings. In the meantime, a race of human-looking aliens contacted the United States government. This alien group warned us against the aliens that were orbiting the equator and offered to help us with our spiritual development. They demanded that we dismantle and destroy our nuclear weapons as the major condition. They refused to exchange technology, citing that we were spiritually unable to handle the technology which we then possessed. They believed that we would use any new technology to destroy each other as we always have. This race stated that we were on a path of self-destruction and we must stop killing each other stop polluting the earth, stop raping the earth's natural resources, and learn to live in harmony with each other and with nature. These terms were met with extreme suspicion, especially the major condition of nuclear disarmament. It was believed that meeting that condition would leave us helpless in the face of an obvious alien threat. We also had nothing in history to help with the decision. Nuclear disarmament was not considered to be within the best interests of the United States, and the overtures were rejected. Later in 1954, the race of large-nosed gray aliens which had been orbiting the Earth landed at Holloman Air Force Base. This race identified themselves as originating from a planet around a red star in the constellation of Orion, which we call Betelgeuse. A basic agreement was reached. An alien named Krill was left as a pledge that they would return and formalize the agreement. They stated that their planet was dying and that at some unknown future time they would no longer be able to survive there. This led to a second landing at Edwards Air Force Base. The historical event had been planned in advance and details of the treaty had already been agreed upon. Eisenhower arranged to be in Palm Springs on vacation. 
On the appointed day, the president was spirited away to the base, and the excuse was given to the press that he was visiting the dentist for a toothache. President Eisenhower met with the aliens, and a formal treaty between the alien nation and the United States of America was signed. The treaty stated, the aliens would not interfere in our affairs, and we would not interfere in theirs. We were particularly interested that they do not interfere with anything that would affect our future. We would keep their presence on Earth a secret. They would furnish us with advanced technology and would help us in our technological development. They would not make any treaty with any other Earth nation. They could abduct humans on a limited and periodic basis for the purpose of medical examination and monitoring of our development with the stipulation that the humans would not be harmed, would be returned to their point of abduction, that the humans would have no memory of the event, and that the alien nation would furnish MJ-12 with a list of all human contacts and abductees on a regularly scheduled basis. It was agreed that each nation would receive the ambassador of the other for as long as the treaty remained in force. It was further agreed that the alien nation in the United States would exchange 16 personnel each to the other with the purpose of learning each of the other. The alien guests would remain on Earth and the human guests would travel to the alien point of origin for a specified period of time, then return at which point a reverse exchange would be made. I have no knowledge whatsoever of what happened to those original 16 humans who left the Earth with the aliens. Oh, I do. I know what happened to them. I'll tell you about it after all this. It's, it's interesting. It was also agreed that bases would be constructed underground for the use of the alien nation and that two bases would be constructed for the joint use of the alien nation and the United States government. The base at Dulce is one, the base at S-4 in the area known as Area 51 or Dreamland is the second. Exchange of technology would take place in the jointly occupied bases. These alien bases would be constructed under Indian reservations in the four corners of Utah, Colorado, New Mexico, and Arizona, and one would be constructed in Nevada in the area known as S-4, located approximately seven miles south of the western border of Area 51, otherwise known as Dreamland. All alien areas are under complete control of the Naval Department and all personnel who work in these complexes receive their checks from the Navy. Construction of the bases began immediately, but progress was slow until large amounts of money were made available in 1957, and in the meantime, work continued on the Yellow Book with the information derived from the guests. So I'm, I'm keeping my eye on this thing. I'm expecting anything to come out the other side of this, this small puffy white cloud. And I've said, Corbett, did you just see that? He said, yeah, Dad, did you see it too? I was like, what did you see? And I remember specifically almost verbatim because he couldn't remember the word cylinder. And he says, it was like a, it was like a can, what do you call it? And that's exactly what I saw. It was like, I don't know how long it was because I caught God knows how much of it. But it was just, what, what struck me was how black it was against that pale blue sky in a broad daylight. It was... Um, if you took, say, a tall can of deodorant, I'm looking at one right now, and you turned it on its side, um, you know the way that you see the curvature of the end of it, if you turn it slightly to, at an angle to yourself. Beveled on yeah. one end. Yeah. So I, I'm, I haven't taken my eyes off this cloud because I'm ticking off every logical explanation. I'm like, even though it's obviously anomalous with the feeling and the way it darted so fast behind the, the cloud when I looked at it, and the fact that he saw it too. And the last thing I remember doing is saying, we've got to get out of here and putting my hand on his shoulder to get out of there because it felt dangerous. And this is where it, get, it does get a bit weird. Weirder. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I've asked him since, 
um, numerous times because I don't remember coming home. He doesn't remember coming home. I have this weird blank spot where the next thing I remember is that night. I remember being at home on the sofa when I'd fallen asleep. I fell asleep on the sofa that night with the lights on in the, in the living room by accident. And it was the only time I've ever had sleep paralysis in my life. A lot of researchers are careful to stop themselves short of saying what it is they truly believe is happening. What I truly believe is happening is that there is a psychic influence at play, a direct meddling with Max's perception of the events as they actually unfolded. When you wake up from a dream, it's easy to dismiss everything that you remember because you know that anything can happen in a dream, but it didn't actually happen in the world that you've woken up in. If I were trying to convince somebody that what they had experienced wasn't real. I would put them to sleep and wake them up into a reality of my choosing. That way, anything that happened prior to them waking up could be easily dismissed by their own unconscious, rather than my having to dismiss it while they were consciously able to defend themselves. Now, this is the same tactic that's employed by witch doctors in Haiti when they want to, for lack of a better word, zombify another human being. We actually go over this in great detail. I think it's the second episode of season one where we talk about the serpent and the rainbow. And Wade Davis is told that a witch doctor will use puffer fish venom to make a person appear dead to their families. To the person, they're just sleeping. Their breathing and their heart rate has slowed to an almost imperceptible rate. And they're left in a coffin for an extended amount of time. Later, when the witch doctor digs these men and women up, he revives them using a mixture of drugs that are both hallucinogenic and stimulating. When they suddenly wake up into our world, they are completely disoriented and afraid. They're having what is probably a horrific hallucinogenic experience. Their heart is beating fast. They have so much energy, but they don't know what to do with it. They're also quite possibly suffering from permanent brain damage, from having been kept in a quasi-living state in a coffin for sometimes as long as weeks. Now, if you and I were to wake up in such a situation, I would like to think that I would take one look at a fucking witch doctor, you know, there's your threat. That's your enemy. He's the one who's causing all of this. But strangely, what happens, rather than standing up and running away as fast as they can, or defending themselves against what would clearly be to you and I in this waking state, a very real threat, these people cower and they look to the witch doctor for help. And from that moment on, he's able to force them to complete menial tasks. He is able to control them. Um, and so I, I, I woke up with what felt like more than one thing to my left, real quiet, unnerving feeling, and it scared the living daylights out of me again. And I, I didn't, I wanted to know what was to my left because it felt so uncomfortable, but I didn't want to look, I was too, I feel like a white pussy, but I, I was too scared to look to my left. 
<laughs> I end up forcing myself to sleep. <laughs> exactly. It's 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 crazy because I I don't. It's really weird how what this stuff, this whatever this stuff is, whatever it is, it has a way of getting right. to you. Yep. Bone chilling dreads like you've never known before in real life. Just you just can't feel that scared unless you're at the point of dying. You know, I, I've I've once. Uh, well, I've had two two incidences where I almost died. One of those experiences, I wow, I was given some painkillers and I accidentally took too many and I struggled to not fall asleep and I was struggling to breathe. And it was a pure accident that I'd taken too many because I hadn't read the label. And I'd yeah, taken, I've, I've accidentally taken too many painkillers too, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, I literally struggled hands and knees to climb out the back door and try everything to not fall, you know, pass out. And um, that was that was the only time where you get that kind of real scared, like, oh, shit. Like, right. um, but even that, I don't think, really goes to the level these things put you through. Yeah. So I, I forced myself back to sleep. And it was the next day. I know I was in the house somewhere. I know it was the morning. It was a bright day. Uh, cold again. My little baby boy is on the sofa asleep, right? I put him on the sofa in front of me to my right. And I was sitting on the floor back against the sofa. And I must have been playing on my phone because I, I know I wasn't watching TV. So I was looking down. I didn't notice the, whatever it was in the corner. So all of a sudden, there's lots of questions about this bit. My son wakes up crying. It, it drew my. It, it wasn't like I'm waking up and slowly crying from being hungry or anything. He woke up in a like a high pitched cry that it made me unnerved. And I, I jumped up to pick him up to comfort him. And it's when I picked him up, I turned slightly to my right and I noticed some movement to my right hand side. This is in a broad daylight room, right, full of light. Look over. And it made me jump. I mean, physically, I jumped in my doorway, in the kitchen doorway, in the living room doorway, between in the doorframe, was a four-foot-tall, semi-translucent, shadow, shadowy person. Is what it looked like. It, man, it made me jump out of my skin. It looked like it was as if it was leaning in. Most half of it was in my the living room. And it was moving. That's what drew my attention. It was extremely skinny. Like it was only four foot tall, just no more than four foot tall. And as I looked at it and jumped out of my skin, like what the fuck? It literally made my heart skip a beat because it surprised me that much. This thing just glided super fast out. The opposite was the back door, which was open. And it just went straight out, like glided. It made me jump out of my skin. I literally jumped back with my baby in my arms made my heart skip a beat just because it was like you know the ultimate prank you see those things on youtube videos where someone physically jumps and like what the fuck it really really shocked me to see that thing there um and it just glided didn't bob up and down but it shot across the living room straight out the back door which was open and it glided so fast is what really surprised me as well the fact that it just went from zero to it glided, man, and it went fast. Um, and it couldn't make out any features because it was like if you took someone and just made them a shadow and then make them almost semi-see-through, right? So there was no features, but you could clearly see the outline, the entire head and the right shoulder 
skinny arm hanging down by its side. And I didn't look down at its feet. I didn't have time to. It happened in a, sec- uh, in a couple of seconds. So it was really, to me, I didn't know what the hell was going on now. I My knee-jerk reaction was that it was some sort of ghost. I didn't, I didn't know any. Back then, I had no idea that this kind of stuff happens to people. Oh, yeah, total chaos. Yeah, it's it's as if it's just gone and then it's there. I mean, what's what's going on with that? What if you could expand on on flipping the switch? Because it seems to apply not just to the sightings of the craft or to the telepathic communication or to the sightings of the creature, but to the phenomenon as a whole. Right. So, suddenly, out of absolutely nowhere, this thing just appears in your head in your consciousness in your subjective reality and i don't understand how that's possible yeah who knows i mean i guess i don't know that separation of reality i guess once you lock into the fact that this is going on around you and start to focus maybe you see it i don't know this is one of the biggest questions i have is well it's a multi-layered uh, bunch of questions isn't it because what what we have to do is we don't know the answer to question a question 1a and without that answer then we're we're asking questions right, uh, yeah, 1b 1c we- to me i spent the longest time and i still do if i had to place a bet that i was just in the wrong place at the wrong time or the right the right time and it was just yeah. here and i i say that for good reason because there are lots of people in this local area, and I've only just found out in the last two months that there was uh, two people 15 minutes away at the same time that witnessed UFOs over the RAF Wittering, uh, Royal Air Force Base, 15 minutes from our door by car. Um, and I know that other people other people here have taken a photograph of the balls of light, um, put it on Facebook in 2018, Someone else took a dash cam video driving their car up the same road that we live on in 2018. There have been multiple other sightings of UFOs in this specific area, and we have a low-level radiation dump site 15 minutes away. On the other side of the road, literally on the other side of the road from the airbase, is a low-level radiation dump site. There's something extremely funky about Aegean. Um, Mm. I was doing some research into them, and it's an extremely funky company. Yeah, they're pretty government-padded. Yeah. I I noticed, I looked at their website a little while ago and realized that they've taken off information, I think, about, I can't remember what it was now, if it was the address of that location, but I know where it is. And what's interesting is it's completely obscured. Like there's no signs, there's no, there's nothing to a person that would be walking or driving past that would tell you what's there. So what happened is when that thing just glided out the back door, um, my son had stayed out the day over the woods with that black cylindrical object in the sky. He'd stayed out that night. He was so freaked out. And you imagine he's just moved in with his dad after years of being kept away. His mum had got married and tried to cut me out of their lives. So I had to go through court cases and a lot of stress to try and force her to let me see them. And then suddenly each one moves in with me, right? So um, so he's moved in with me. And within a few days, this happens. And he's 14. Um, he was freaked out, to say the least. So that day before, the cylindrical object in the sky, I had the sleep paralysis that night. The next morning is when that shadow figure's in the living room. 
my son had not come home. And so I can't remember if it was later. I think it was the next day. I'm pretty sure it was the next day. It could have been the same day for all I know, to be honest. It's getting vague now. But I know I was upstairs because he came running up the stairs saying, Dad, 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 freaked out. He'd come back. I hadn't spoke to him. I hadn't told him what had happened. I don't think he had a mobile phone at the time, a cell phone at the time. So he knew nothing about what I'd seen that, that in the living room, right? He comes running up the stairs, freaked, saying, Dad, 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 I was just doing my hair in the living room because we had a mirror. We had a mirror, a big mirror up on the wall there. And if you're standing facing the mirror, the reflection would be looking back at that doorway where it was. So he said, I was just doing my hair in the mirror. And there was this, I don't remember exactly the words he used, but he basically said a shadow person was running around and ran through the room. And again, again, it was one of those moments where, you know, oh my God, man. So again, I haven't, it's not just me. It's happened two times, two different people, same thing. Now it was at this point, I totally shut down. I was completely overwhelmed. I had no clue what was going on. I thought we were... One minute, I've got God knows what, a UFO over my head or whatever it was. And now we're having these nasty, scary, felt like some sort of, you know, ghostly things are happening. I didn't know what was going on. I just shut down. I couldn't deal with it. Uh, I just was in denial. I couldn't take it. I just didn't want to deal with it. I didn't know what was going on.
Well, no, not really. In Texas, we we got our chips, so we just walk right through the turnstiles. Kind of lying. Do what? Uh, I said you're fucking lying. No, bro. Fuck no, we're not lying. <laughs> fucking right through the turnstiles. There's no more filth on the streets. Uh, homeless people are pretty much rounded up and and put into uh, well, summer camp. <clears throat> Are those the ones that's in the uh, old Walmart super centers that have razor wire around them now? Well, yeah, but that's to keep people from going in. <laughs> you people from getting that. <laughs> it's recorded. Are you still in the DMV, bro? Please tell me you're still in the fucking DMV. Yeah, I'm waiting for tags and titles. 